Welcome to our weekly, weekly Wednesday night shir. Lila Nishma, Saram Barach, Yehuda Levi, and Lila Sara. Tonight is the night after Chof Menachem Ov, a very special day, a very holy person. The Chabmakubu, father of our Rebbe, passed away in Kazakhstan, actually, in Almata. That's where he's buried. Whoops. This week is Chof Menachem Ov. Today is Chof Menachem, was Chof Menachem Ov. We will discuss about the life of the Rebbe Levik, the Rebbe's father. Also this Shabbos, Mi'atshem Shabbos, Mevarchem HaChidish, Chidish El. Chidish El. Wow. El, Rebbe, say El. The winds of El are blowing. Um... Yes. We'll start with Blavik. This expression is Akev. But we'll start with Blavik a little bit. His life was devoted to Tera. In a total selfless devotion and dedication to Tera. And especially Pinimiya Tera, the secrets of Tera. In a f- way, in a format of Yisparnasun. He literally was a one that let others live off it. The name Levi Yitzchok, his name was Levi Yitzchok. The name Levi Yitzchok, the connection, a specific connection to Teda. Of course, we know the name Levi from the tribe, son of Yaakov, Levi. And his tafkid, his family's tafkid, was to carry the Orn of Bris Hashem. As we know, Yeru Mishpitech al-Yaakov al Yisrael. Teda. And the same also with the second name, Yitzchok. Yitzchok has a special connection to Matan Teda. As we know, the three Yom Tevim, Sukkis, Pesach, and Shavuos, Avram, Yitzchok, and Yaakov, Yaakov, sorry, Pesach, Shavuos, and Sukkis, and Shavuos is a connected Yitzchok, and the blowing of Shefa, Matan Teda, was the Shefa from the ram of Yitzchok. So therefore the name Levi Yitzchok is directly connected, both Levi and Yitzchok to the concept of Teda in a very, very strong way. He was the Rav of the Nepotrovsk, of Yekaterinoslav actually. He was the chief rabbi of Russia. However, the Russian government had their ideas and restrictions they wanted to impose. One of the problems they had was he was he was being way too too strict with the flour for Pesach, with the wheat, and they wanted a little bit of a curve, shall we say? And he would not yield. Wheat for Pesach is very very important that it be at one hundred thousand percent kosher, and he would not yield. And the government threatened and cajoled and whatever they did, it was fruitless. And therefore, they threw him. They sent him off to exile. And the exile they sent him off to was Kazakhstan. Was into a time I don't think it was Kazakhstan, but it was Almata, which is 
quite a distance east from Moscow. He was sent there without any Sfarim. He was sent there without any Jews, no minion, anything. First he was actually imprisoned, and then he was ultimately sent there. It was only after a while where they finally found out, and the Sakhana found out where he was in prison, where he was sent off to, and the entire story evolved, how she procured a, cha- a train ticket to go out there and to be with her husband. She brought whatever Sfarim she was able to bring, namely what the most important thing was the Sefer Hazayar. She brought the Sefer Hazayar, and Ablevik did most of his writing and learning from memory, so much so that he wrote. Uh, how did he write? He didn't have exactly a staples to go to there. His wife, Rebbe Zahana, made ink for him. And he would sit and write in the margins of the Zayar, his Pirushim, which is ultimately printed now as the Pirushim on Zayar. And the later years, the Rebbe would fabricate. What happened? The Rebbe's Fabreng is the Rebbe will talk about a Rashi Sicha. Seriously? Rambam and Kunizea. It's not this one. It's the one in the kitchen. Make up a lemonade, please. He wrote his Pirushim on the side of the Zayar. Most of whatever we have from him today, of his writings, was from prison. From Kazakhstan, from Almata. Um, almost nothing survived when he was involved in Yekaterinoslav. Of course, he said he sent off there because of, thank you, strengthening of Yiddishkeit. Even when he taught a simple shir, Ayn Yaakov, which usually the Ayn Yaakov yid is a very simple yid, the Ayn Yaakov is the Agadatis, the stories, more or less, from Gemara, which are taken out of the Gemara, and they're compiled in the Sefer called Ayn Yaakov, a few Svarim actually. And there are those people that are not capable of the drush of Gemara, learning the depth of Gemara, and therefore they go to Ayn Yaakov Shir, which is Gemara, words of Gemara, but on a much simpler level. And even when he gave his Shir in Ayn Yaakov, it was also done with tremendous, tremendous depth to it. Even though the simplest people understood it though. We've said before, actually, told the story that he was a, a proficient mathematician. And it was known that the professors in the university would come visit him with complex problems. And one time a professor came and they were standing and discussing this complex mathematical equation. And his oldest son, Leibig's oldest son, was sitting on upstairs on the stairs or something, listening to this. And suddenly the little boy came running down and he gave his father a piece of paper. His father was a little bit annoyed. Why are you disturbing in the middle of this conversation, this intense mathematical equation, perplexed? And he put the paper in his pocket. Later, when the professor, the math, the math professor, left the house, 
Levi could put his hand in his pocket and found the paper that he was put there before from the sun. He took it out, he opened it up, and he saw the solution to the problem. His little son, Menachem Mendel, our Rebbe, wrote out on a piece of paper the solution that these two great minds were discussing a mathematical equation. He also devoted his life and gave his entire life for the education of children. Even the education of older people, children, in, Ju- in Judaism. And they simply were, were constantly badgering him and constantly chasing him. And even when they sent him away to Golis, an exile, he still did it. Whatever he could to spread Yiddishkeit between Jews, wherever he was, even in the most remote communist holes, these people were unfortunately considered tinukim, children, when it came to the education of Judaism. He was the of a very big city and the surrounding cities. What was his job to educate? Men, the women, the children, to know what they have to do. <coughs> this is a proficient point of Chinuch, which means to say, one should not wait until Chasushalom, someone in his congregation, sins and then reprimand them and then tell them what to do differently. Thank you. But rather, set them up in a way beforehand. They should know how to live, they should know how to be, so that they don't come into, they don't come off to sinning. Because he was only surviving grandchild at the time of the dynasty of the Rabbeim, people came to him from all places, all over the world. Because the way he devoted himself into the spreading of Teda, it was something that everyone knew, respected, and followed. He had many different explanations, Kabbalistic, etc. Very, very deep ones, of which his teachings ultimately were to teach us how to live, how to be, and how to bring about the coming of Mashiach. Let us focus a little bit on the Pasha. Next Shabbos, we have some Chedish El. Two days of Chedish, Shabbos and Sunday. So, in the next week, we can spend time talking about Chedish, about El, about the Minhagim, Shefer blowing daily, the Dover Hashem Ayri, the three Kapitlach, etc., etc. We'll talk about next week. Bayancho. We've said this before in Shirim on Parshat Ekev. From here it says the Medrash. It's considered a Medrash Plia. From here we learn about Neda Shabbos Kedish. What does Neda Shabbos Kedish have to do with the eating of the Mon? Pasuk says, They were tortured, they were hungered. They were starved. And they ate the man. 
the mon had the taste of whatever you wanted it to taste like. So what was the torture? I don't know. I just stuck in my teeth. Thanks. The man had a taste of whatever he wanted. So what was the actual torture? And what does this have to do with Neder Shabbos Kodesh? Einig Shabbos Kodesh. Kodesh Shabbos Einig, one needs to have pleasure on Shabbos when they eat their food. However, if you don't see what's on your plate in front of you, you just don't enjoy it. It's the same piece of chicken, same piece of kugel, same whatever other side dishes a person might have. But if you don't see it, it just doesn't, it's not satisfying. So when they ate the mon, yes, they imagined a rib steak, they imagined roast chicken, fried chicken, from whatever. I forgot the name of the stores already. What was the name of 13th Avenue, the store, the big store, they closed down three stores they had. 13th Avenue, 18th Avenue, and Manhattan. Kosher Delight. Thank you. You don't see it. It doesn't taste the same. So, it tortured you. You ate it, yes. It tasted what you wanted it to taste like, yes. But it wasn't. You didn't see it. You didn't see a rib steak. It just didn't feel a rib steak. And therefore it was torture. And it was hunger. <laughs> From there we learn later Shabbos Kedish and Shabbos. By having the candles lit by the Shabbos table, one can appreciate their Shabbos meal, one can enjoy their meal, because they see what they are eating. Let us dissect Mon. <laughs> Mon came down, it was Lechem in a Shemayim. It's the Pasuk in Shemayim. You want to look it up, it's chapter 15, 16, verse 4. Tezayim Pasuk Lechem in a Shemayim. It was a spiritual, godly food. It was not natural. It was unnatural, sorry. Any taste you wanted, and no pits. No pits, no bones. Hey, pay extra for that today. Seedless watermelons, boneless chickens. I mean, obviously, a boneless rib steak is a brachal of a tola. What do you say, Scranton? Boneless rib steak? <laughs> rib steak without the bone, without the hair, after the come on. No, thank you. <laughs> Get that out of my teeth. On the other side, on the other hand, it says about the mon. Sorry. The fact that it had nothing, no seeds or bones or anything in it, if you keep your score at home, it's like a mother in Yuma, I and hay. On the bottom of Maralaf goes on Tom at base. Talks about the Mun. On the other hand, the Mun was refer- referred to as we say Hamachilcha, Mun Leman Anaisecha, to touch you. It didn't give complete satisfaction, as we just said. First of all, the fact that you had one day's ration. ration you had to imagine one day only. For the next day it came again. But today you had only one day's food. And when this finished, it turned to worms, whatever it turned to, but it was gone. You could not eat anything after the day. You put nothing in the fridge after dinner. No leftovers. There was no leftovers, there was nothing in your cabinets. Your cabinets were bare, your fridge was bare. On the other hand, again referring to the Yamada and Yuma, I endowed on the base of you keeping score at home, eight seventy four side two. A person that has pas bisali, 
a person that has bread in his basket, he's not hungry. He's not so hungry. He knows that he can always go to the basket and get bread. The person has nothing in the basket, they automatically become hungry. So whatever taste it had, it's no comparison somebody sees and eats what they're eating. And therefore they did not see, as we said, the actual food. The man within itself was a contradiction. It was a rich man's food and a poor man's food. I mean, listen, today the, the rich man will go to a restaurant and order quinoa. Uh, quinoa? Quinoa? What's it called? Quinoa. That's pretty good. It's very good, especially if you can't forget what broccoli you make on it. What? Why? It's green. Quinoa. No, it's not. What is it then? Who knows what it is? What, rice you also make him Zonathan? Sure. Rice? <laughs> yeah, you're smoking the wrong stuff. Rice? Rice goes on water. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of eye openers today, huh? To eat rice, in order to eat rice, you have to eat something, make a mazenis on something, and uh, eats on something, and then the, you can make a shahakal on the rice. So that you eat all the brachas in the middle of the brachas. The, mazen- the rice itself does not have a bracha mazenis. And sushi? Sushi doesn't have a bracha at all. It's not food. <laughs> anyway, the food itself, it had every taste you could conceive. So, the rich man has the proper, he has the palate, he has the appetite, he has the taste buds for the finer foods. He understands a sushi, he understands a rib steak. The poor man understands barely an omelet. So the same person enjoys it immensely because it has the taste of whatever it is, but he's lost on the under the description, the nondescript fact of the food. But it's not a contradiction. This poor man and rich man's food coincides one with the other. The man itself was a, a wonder. It was a miraculous food. It was a godly food with no no boundary, no limit to it. Therefore, because of this, when the man came down into the physical world, a world that is in boundaries, People just couldn't, didn't know how to put it together. They didn't know, how, how do you eat this, literally? How do you put this into a physical realm? The eye, the person, the human eye, could not see any kind of... You can't fathom that a food could taste like anything you wanted. A food tastes like what it is. Put soy sauce on it, it tastes one thing. Put hot sauce on it, it tastes something else. Put salt and pepper in something else. Put ketchup in something else. But to look at the same piece of meat, or the same piece of chicken, or that same mon on your plate, and imagine it has ketchup on it, and it has ketchup, it tastes like ketchup. And the next bite you want it to taste like mustard, it tastes like mustard. You lose, though, the fact of seeing and eating it. In order to actually get the month to its fullest, one needed to take themselves out of the realm of physical human being. And then they were able to eat a spiritual food.
by being spiritual, you were able to eat a spiritual food. You didn't have to become a ghost. You didn't have to become an angel. You had to stay a human being, obviously. <coughs> but the eating of the man was all a preparation for matan teira, for the accepting of the teira. Not only accepting the teira, was even a preparation for 40 years, sorry, not for the preparation of the teira, but rather for the keeping of the teira and the mitzvahs once they arrived in Israel. The Jewish people, by eating the man, were able to overcome the two concepts of wealth and poverty. Whether one lives in wealth or whether one lives with poverty, one was able to deal with it because they ate the man. This gave them the, the power, the kayak, the boost to be able to do it. The rich man did this with the concept of, of endangerment. A person is endangered when a rich man, a person is endangered with Chas Shalom thinking, I did this. I invented this. I created this. I made this happen. Whereas the poor man believes no bad comes down from God. No matter what the pain, no matter what the the circumstance, no matter what the situation, if it's coming from God, there's no bad in it. There can never be any bad. That's what needs to understand. The man therefore teaches us to take these two approaches. The rich man's learning from the man because the rich man comes of course from the higher echelons. And this is not the work of a person getting it from God. The poor man learns from the man how God gives without any problem. You'll know that it comes from God, you know that God's going to give it, and it'll always be there. And therefore, it's always good. Not, unfortunately, not always does one grasp that. We have our doubts, we have our fears. We have our trepidations. We have our indecisiveness. We have our curiosity. What will become of me? What will be my next shlav? What will be my next stage in life? Where will I be able to turn? Where will I be able to fit in? What will I do? We had... (laughs) We had a camping trip once in Venezuela. And then the buses took us literally into the mountains until they couldn't go anywhere. I think the rest went with a jeep or with a foot. And the uh, plan was planned out. We're leaving Yeshiva at this hour. We're coming to him again. We arrived there, I think, I think according to the schedule, we arrived there at 2 o'clock. And 4 o'clock the bonfire was starting. 4 o'clock the bonfire is starting, and they're going to have a cookout, we're going to have this, going to have that. It was scheduled pretty much tonight. And everybody was, you know, like, put your hands in and, hey, it's going to be great. <laughs> one guy, one of the ten bucks, wanted to know, what are we doing from 2 to 4? What's happening from two to four? He was. Everybody was rubbing their eyes, cleaning their ears to hear what this guy is just going on about his problem with two to four. Chukum. Kids are getting off the bus. Kids are settling down. Kids are settling in. It's so what to do. Now, how the vibe we make it before o'clock? Just keep doing what we have to do before o'clock. 
he had to know what are we doing from two to four. We'll send the kids to collect wood for the fire. Was wills to the He would not stop. He was relentless. What happens to He was getting anxious, and it's a natural thing. The human being has the anxieties. What will become of me? Where am I going to be? Those who are single want to know whom they're going to marry. Those who are married want to know how many children they're going to have. How much money will I earn? What kind of children will I have? Will they cooperate with me? Will they follow my way? Will they? So many questions. So much uncertainty in a person's life. This is the life of the poor man. But the poor man is told, no. Don't worry, Tatla, don't worry, Mamala, don't worry about anything. You should know that God will not forsake. And so the rich man was put in his place and said, You did not do this yourself. And so to the poor man was given the strength to understand that it's all from God and God will make sure it works. The way to accept good as it comes from above one needs to turn themselves inside out, never to say I did this, I accomplished this. We need to totally rely upon and totally depend upon and totally say and accept Why is Moshiach Avital gets boring? Oh, yeah. <laughs> and he knows that this is the source of all good and all kindness. And this way one sees the actual bracha of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, how the bracha comes into fruition, how it comes into literally lands in our laps, and how things turn around. When the person is in the most desperate form of despair, and the person feels that the world is collapsing around them, tells us the Teda, there's the Mon. The Mon fed the Jews unconditionally. The Mon was the messenger from God to feed, to sustain, the messenger from God to give the message. I am godly bread, I am godly food. And I'm telling you, nothing happens without God. And so to the spiritual way, in order to accept the light of Teda, which is referred to as Lechem and Hashemayim, especially when it comes to Pneumius Teda, the secrets of Teda, with no pits or bones person needs to be a totally empty vessel to set aside to become selfless to set aside any ego to set aside any existence and this way they receive the concept of Teda there was a couple Rahman al-Sun they were not blessed with children. They had money. They had their health. Unfortunately, they did not have any children. And they went to the Reb Marash. And they asked for a bra- They sent to the Reb Marash a letter requesting a bracha for children. But there was no answer. And there was no answer a second and a third time. And they were getting quite desperate. He just smoked a cigarette. Don't put it in the bin. One day, this chassid hosted a fabrengen. Chassidish fabrengen in this house. Despite 
the rumors, the misunderstandings of what goes on by Fabrain. Yes, by a very chassidish Fabrain, there's mashka on the table. There are times nobody touched the mashka at all. There are times where in order to make it more intense, not chas to make it wild, not chas to turn it into a hoo-ha, to bring out when wine goes in, the secrets come out. In order for one to be able to be dvarim ayetzim in alev, some chassidim would take some mashke. And this fabrengen turned into something very, very intense. And the chassidim was singing, and the negunim were very heartsigos from their hearts. And suddenly, came quiet. It's still. Nobody's talking, nobody's singing. It's still. The wife got very disturbed. What happened? She called in her husband. So what's the still? So I'll tell you the truth, he says. There's no mamashka. There's no mamashka, and it's just petering out now. People are just talking. They're not really into it. She bursts open the door, and she tells the minion or two of Chsidim sitting there, if everyone here promises me that I will be blessed with a child, I will see to it to get as much mashka as you want. What can I lose? Everybody started blessing her. What's your name? What's your mother's name? And they blessed her by her name. And everyone gave another bracha, another bracha. Not one child, but many children, multiple children. And the brachas were flying. And everybody promised. She thanked everybody profusely, put on a coat. A short while later, returned with several bottles of mashka. Nobody has any idea where they came from. Lo and behold, a few months later, she became pregnant. And she tells her husband. And so they decide to travel to the Rebbe, to tell the Rebbe the good news, and to get a bracha for the child. And they come to the Rebbe Marash, and they, a day or two later, they're allowed in and they tell him. She tells the story. They ran out of Vashka. I made the Chesidim promise me that I would have a child. And lo and behold, the promises were, were fulfilled. Rebbe. Why? Why would you not give us the bracha? Why were you holding back the bracha from us? The Rebbe congratulated them, wished her with a healthy pregnancy. Then the Rebbe proceeded to tell them, There are three basic blessings. Health, wealth, and family. You're only blessed with two. Health and the wealth you have. I saw if you would have a child, then God forbid the husband would not live much longer after. I didn't want to bring that about. I didn't want to orphan the child. I didn't want to. I couldn't do it. They were mortified. But, 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 Rebbe, he says, No, 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 my children. Chsidim gave you the bracha. Chsidim didn't see what I saw. And therefore, the bracha was carte blanche. 
So you got their bracha. You got their promise. And Hashem is going to give you many more children and grandchildren. And nothing will be deprived from you. Because they use a totally different channel. Miracles that happen above the call of nature, above the practice of nature. The sixth parsha, another very important life lesson to us all. Teach them to your children and speak with them. From this Pasuk, this is the source that we know that a father is obligated to teach his child Teda. Although Tereba writes, father is obligated to teach his son Teda, his young son Teda. It says in the Pasuk, with the Maratha the Bartabom, the Dabrabom. When is there obligation to teach him? From when he begins to speak. As soon as he begins to speak, a father needs to teach the child, Teira Tziva Lanu Mesha. And also Shema Yisrael. So whatever he's not in Hilchas Talmud Teira. But previously in the Teira we learned, Hadzvarame Eila Shanechim Itzav Chayim, You should teach them thoroughly. Back in chapter 6, verses 6 and 7. Perik Vov, Pasik Vov and Zayin. That Pasik speaks of a more advanced level of learning. Child is capable of learning thoroughly, grasping, retaining the Teda. Whatever he's taught, then you teach him that. In addition to that, the Tata says, children, refers to the students, Elubonim, Elutamidim, on spiritual children. The mitzvah to teach them thoroughly to your children is the obligation upon the learned to teach the Tata to all those who want to learn Tata. Even if you're not biologically related to you. So the mitzvah given here should teach them to your children, speak with them, refers to the early stage in child's education. When he's starting out to learn, starting out to speak. Rashi says quite literally, when the person, when the child learns how to speak, you have to teach them, this is obviously at home. Long before the child is old enough to be sent to school. This is a personal mitzvah to teach the child, to, to, the father, the mother, to teach the child Tera. An obligation that goes to, infect, to effect, it goes into effect as soon as the child begins to talk. But from here we learn also, a child can be a spiritual child. A child of spirituality, one that you learn with Tera, one that teach, you teach lessons to, this too is a child. One that learns, that teaches teachings to people. There was a, in the time of the Hele Kirushna, Rebekah Ega, was not a very adamant follower of Chassidim. He had a strict relative, a very, very um, high-ranking student, shall we say, in his school, in Yeshiva, who was also very antagonistic, uh, literally a misnagged, but ultimately married into a Chassidish family, a family that was Chassidim of the Helek Ruzhina. And the wife and the in-laws, the family, 
constantly badger him. Come meet the Hedek Rishni, you'll see. You'll see you're mistaken about your misnagdus. You'll see you're mistaken about not accepting Chassidim, Chassidus. No. Eventually, pressure is pressure. And he buckled. But he said, let me tell you something though. I'm putting him to a test. You're telling me he's this spiritual soul. You're telling me he's got great spiritual powers. I have a question. When it comes to Shavuah and to Nether, there is a contradiction between Gemara and the Zayar. One says that it could be done, a shvua is something that can be only done on something physical, and a nether can be made on something that will not happen, that's, that's not yet existent, fruits that will grow, etc., money that I will earn. And the Zaya says the opposite. How is it possible? I must tell you, I've asked this to many, many scholars, and nobody had a response for me. I said, okay, you could ask him. Nah! Ask him. I'm not asking him anything. I'm going to think it. I'm going to think it. Let's see how spiritual he is. And so the father-in-law and the son-in-law traveled to Ruzhin, and they come into the full Bismedish of the Hedek Ruzhina. sitting there, and the Ruzhina is up at the table, and one of the elder Siddim comes in and the original motions for him to come sit next to him. He goes over and he sits next to the original. And the original says to him, based, there was once a machlekes, the mother tells us, Actually, we keep it scored home. It's Gemara, like, I believe, in Bab Metzia. Bab Metzia, Pevov, Amir Aleph. 86, side 1. Gemara tells of a story. There was an argument. The sister, the Rakia, and Akadosh Baruch. Between heavenly courts, the heavenly yeshiva and the almighty. <coughs> and uh, they couldn't settle it. So they said, so let's bring an outsider. An outsider human being. Says so the Imara, they brought Rabbi Barnachmini. And they presented the case to Rabbi Barnachmini. The Imara tells us, Rabbi Banachmeni paskin according to HaKadosh Baruch Now we know there's many different Machlekes in Yachid Verab, Malach Kirab. If there's many and there's one, the Allah is according to the majority. Majority rules. Uh-oh, Scranton got lost. What happened to Scranton? There you are. Sorry. So technically, the Rabbim was the Sifta the Rakia. But here, he passed and know that Kajbarak was right. Then, we look in the Rambam about this very Machlikis. And the Rambam doesn't pass like a Kaddish Baruch, the Rambam pass like a Masif Tadikiyah. So we learn from here, says, says Teda, that if a Rav, a real Rav, a proper Rav, a Ben Teda, a Yerushimayim, paskins Hilamata, even if it's against a Baruch's Psak, it's accepted.
And that's the Rambam, who Sefer Halachis proves. It's all the religion of talking to his Talmud. Then he tells his Talmud, my grandfather, the Badichiva, the Vizich Magid, everybody knew it was the Talmud Chacham. I, eh, I go through Shas once a month. Every month I go through the whole Shas. Nobody considers me any big Talmud Chacham for that. My grandfather, he was a big Talmud Chacham. My grandfather had a stira. They came to him, or he found the stira, they was brought to him the stira of Neder and Shvua, between the Gemara and Zaya. This man's eyes are bugging out. My grandfather had a teretz, he says, but I have a different teretz. And ultimately his teretz was they're both saying the same thing. They're both saying God's words. The Gemara is the Chachamim, is the Mesifta Terekia, and the Zaya is HaKadosh Baruch Hu's So neither of them, it's not a contradiction. One is the words of HaKadosh Baruch one is the words of the Mesifta Terekia. He then turns to this Yid and says to him, No, are you ready to become a chassid? <laughs> Became a very, very strong chassid. Very, very mekushalik to the vision. So, because he understood how the vision saw his Vedirach HaKedish exactly what was going on. Exactly what he was thinking. It takes sometimes. Not always it have to be the holiest of people. Sometimes the most mundane, simplest of people can look into your eyes and can see the deepest secrets. Can see the deepest thoughts of your soul. And you feel it. You feel the penetration. And you say to yourself, this person really knows me inside out. This is what we taught a lesson from Teda from teaching of Torah to children, teaching of your Torah to your own children, or having spiritual children, where the person is not necessarily related to them, but they teach them and therefore they become as if they're children. says you should place these words to your heart and your soul says Rashi even after it's revealed that the person is totally involved in the mitzvahs and he could fill in, he put on film, some mezuzas, he'd make mezuzas. Said nothing. Shouldn't be anything new to you when you go, when you repeat it. Rashi explains what's a shanech mitzavach hayyim. Also, the year of Yenachal Kid Yukhtim, Yutkimah. 
Shana Shein Shein Adam Seifna. And like Chadosha, a Kerel Rotzen Nikrasa. Shouldn't be an old thing. It shouldn't be something that's just rehashed, but rather it should be a new thing that everyone's chasing. We have to look into this. The Cheda, from the words of our parsha, sees seems. Shalayu Chadoshim. In our parsha, it tells us that no, this should not be news to you. It should be something you're used to. In Veschanan, it says it should not be. The person needs to look at it always as a new thing, a new entity. Simple explanation. Parshas Chana talks about Kabbalah's mitzvahs, and our parsha talks about doing the mitzvahs. So now we understand. When it comes to doing the mitzvahs, it's more of a plus if you're used to doing it. Hashem came to accepting the yoke of the mitzvahs. Milas that the mitzvah is a new thing to you. Because then everybody chases it. And therefore, it should become a new entity. It should feel like a new entity so that you should follow it and you should complete it. Then says in Krishna, love the behold of Avakim, serve with your full heart. explains this is referring to Tfilah Shachar, which is connected to Tamid, the first four hours, Krishna to the third hour, Ketedis that was done on a Tamid on a constant basis. And within this, you have to understand the differences. Won't go into this one, it's a little too complicated. The Maratamesim is Benechem, Dabar Bombashiv, Chavisachal, Chavadar, Chavachimacha. Teach the children, speak to them, sitting at home, going on the road, sitting, sitting, lying down, lying down, getting up. Shachmachimacha refers to, of course, Kriyashma. And Mitzvah Tamatera. But the simple part pasuk shift chavisach left chavadera v'shach v'gumecha goes on the maratam mesim as benechem daber bam. She constantly teaches children any situation that might be. From here, from this, we learn out that person should not say. My education is involved only 10 minutes a day. Only the certain time of the day. person needs to know that their education, they need to think about the education of the children on a constant basis. Whether Whatever they're doing, sitting at home, idly, or traveling on journeys, or whatever it might be, one may never forget for the Maratha Mesa's B'nechem. Sometimes you come home and you're tired. You want to go to sleep. The person preparing himself to go to sleep, the person needs to think also then how to educate the child. And immediately when one wakes up, the person needs to have in their mind how to educate their child. One needs to connect to the child. The physical, biological, spiritual child. One needs to constantly be connected to them. The connection may never sever. One must think about them at all times. Give them always educational values, unconditional love, so that the child knows this is the way that I'm supposed to be, this is the way I'm supposed to act, and this way we will have true Yiddish, Ksindish, and Nachas, and we will merit to teach the children that this Shabbos, the second of the seventh, the Shivan and the Chemta, we will all find ourselves in Yerushalayim, Mira Kodesh, and Mashiach Tzikainu. Shabbat Shalom to all.